I'm Beth Boone. I'm the Artistic and Executive Director of Miami Light Project. We were established in 1989. We present contemporary dance, music, theater, and multimedia artists from around the world on stages throughout Miami-Dade County. And we develop new work by Miami-based artists and help them to tour that work around the country, around the world, through a program called Here and Now. My name is Lolo Reskin. I am the owner of Sweat Records. We've been open for six years in Miami, and we are a record store, event space, and a coffee shop. In the store and at places around Miami, we throw over 120 events a year, everything from comedy to music to you name it. I'm Scott Cunningham. I'm the founder and director of University of Wynwood, which is an entirely fake university dedicated to advancing contemporary literature in Miami, Florida. So we produce events and projects. We have a visiting poet series that's been going on since 2009. And we just launched this April a countywide poetry festival called Oh Miami. Those are three people who are making a difference in their city of Miami, Florida. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. There's been a lot of talk around the NEA in the past two years about creative placemaking. The belief that art and culture have the power to make a neighborhood a great place to live, work, and play, bring together diverse communities, and revitalize neighborhoods. This is a philosophy shared by many, including the Knight Foundation, which believes that the arts are a catalyst for public dialogue and that shared cultural experiences contribute to a sense of place and communal identity. It's in that spirit that the foundation provides grants to art programs, including placemaking projects like Beth Boone's Miami Light Project's Collaborative Performance Workspace, Lolo Reskin's Sweat Records Community Building Events, and Scott Cunningham's Oh Miami's month-long poetry festival. I jumped at the opportunity to speak with Beth, Lolo, and Scott. I was curious how they began their organizations, grew them, and in the process, helped make Miami a vibrant cultural center. I began our conversation by asking Scott why he began the University of Wynwood, a fake university devoted to contemporary literature. I was leaving a real university, uh, which was my graduate program at FIU, and I was sort of just nervous about leaving that type of community. And I always kind of wanted to have my own university where I could do what I wanted, <laughs> so I just founded it. Miami geographically is very fractured, so it's, it's difficult to, you know, it's not like a city, you know, like San Francisco, which I used to live in, where... You know, you could walk to a lot of places, and, and the public transportation took you to neighborhoods. And if you're a writer, you kind of, it was very easy to figure out where you should go to meet other writers. And Miami doesn't really have that. I mean, we have an amazing bookstore and Books and Books, but it's in Coral Gables, which for me might as well be in another city from where I live. So I found that it was tough to find ways to create that community or be a part of that community. So that's basically what University of Wynwood was trying to do was create opportunities for these people who I, I knew instinctually were out there, but I just wasn't meeting them. Scott, when you began that, did you find that, in fact, this was something that the Miami community wanted? Was it, was it a hard go? How did it come together? No, I mean, it was very small and grassroots. Um, I mean, it still is. It's still pretty much just me. <laughs> yeah, so it, we're expanding <laughs> rapidly. No, but um, it, it was basically me kind of doing events with friends, one of whom was Lolo, and just sort of trying to get the word out 
you know, basically through uh, online social media channels and then through word of mouth. And so it, it was something that I figured would happen slowly over time. And, and that's kind of what's happened. I would imagine this year is an exponential jump with Oh Miami. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was definitely exponential. Oh Miami was uh, was easily the largest thing we'd ever done. I, I think the largest event we'd done before that was like 45 people. So uh, we went from that to doing, uh, we produced ourselves about 25 events during April, and then we partnered with other organizations to do like another 25. So uh, it was maybe just shy of 50 uh, in April, and then and then we did 23 projects too as well. And then so the the largest event that we produced ourselves was uh, just over 500 people. So that was, it was a different kind of thing for us, definitely. <laughs> Lola, what prompted the beginning of Sweat Records? Well, similar to what Scott said, I was a DJ and indie dance party promoter in the scene and knew that there were people who liked good music. And pretty much by the time I had graduated from high school, there were no real classic style independent record stores around in the city and I'm from here and I wanted my hometown to have one and I knew that there were enough people in Miami's spread out area to sustain one and that was pretty much the impetus for starting the store. You're now in Little Haiti, you've been there for a while. Why that neighborhood? Well really the reason why we moved there, our our first location was destroyed by Hurricane Wilma eight months after we opened which was a bummer. And Churchill's is a sort of punk rock pub in the middle of Little Haiti. It's been there for over 30 years. They call it the CBGBs of Miami. And they offered us a little temporary space in the back. And then when the space next door to them became available, we decided to take it because they're a landmark and, you know, made sense. They're a music venue. We sell music. It was a nice match. Beth, the Miami Light Project's been around for 23 years and recently, you've relocated to the Wynwood section of Miami, which had been an abandoned warehouse area, but is now the new arts district. Yes, that's right. We've had three very distinct moments in our life as an organization. The first 10 years, we were just in donated back office space um, in various places on Miami Beach, and we presented mostly at the Colony Theater. And the next 10 years, which is when I came into the picture, was with our first space called the Lightbox, which was on Biscayne Boulevard at a time when Biscayne Boulevard had nothing really happening on the 30th Street section of it. By the time we left that location, there was a Starbucks across the street, so we knew it was time for us to go. And so about three years ago, we started working on imagining the next 10 years of our of our lives. And as fate would have it, we were able to identify a great spot, which was a 12,000-square-foot warehouse in Wynwood. We were able to identify a an interesting and innovative thinking landlord. We got a grant from the Knight Foundation. We identified partners to share in the space with us, which was too big for us alone. And we developed our our new life, which I would like to think will be our permanent home, the light box at Goldman Warehouse in Wynwood. Well, let's talk about the development of Wynwood as an artist's area, since you were a part of that, with Scott even naming his fake university, the University of Wynwood. Can you talk a little bit about the trajectory of how Wynwood became the artist's place? This is Scott, again, from University of Wynwood. Well, I'll say that one of the reasons I named it that is because when I moved to Miami, I grew up in South Florida, but but not from Miami, and I didn't move to Miami until 05. Even before I got down there, I started reading 
articles about Wynwood in various places, and I was like, oh man, this is this is great. There's an arts district. So right after I moved to Miami, I drove over there, um, you know, probably like on a Saturday at like 2 p.m., and there was absolutely nothing open. <laughs> there was nothing that even looked like it could be open. I was just taken aback. Like this isn't an arts district. <laughs> There's nothing here. Uh, and there was stuff there, but there wasn't a lot of stuff. And it was pretty much open by appointment. And now when you go there now, it's completely different. I mean, um, and probably Beth, since she's there every day, can probably speak better to that. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I think that the neighborhood itself was just ripe for becoming an arts district. But I'm not from Miami. I've lived here for 16 years, and I I love the city like I was, I was born here. But I will say that in Miami, I, I think that often we'll sort of, own a name before we might have earned it. <laughs> I don't, that's, that probably, yeah. So there is this aspiring to be an arts district, and, then, and now we've caught up with that aspiration, I think. I think it's called culture speculating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that works. Wynwood is ripe for what's happening in it for so many reasons. One is that it's filled with warehouses. It's a light industri- zoned light industrial, although I now believe that there's residential allowed. And cafe. And cafe, yeah. And so one thing that's attractive to me about the, the part of Wynwood that we are in is that we were not displacing residents by moving in. And just fr- philosophically, as, as an organization, I didn't really want to participate in gentrification, although the neighborhood has changed a lot in the last two, three, four years, and it will continue to change a lot in the next 5, 10, 15 years. I think that it's special <laughs> that we're not displacing residents and in particular low-income residents by moving in there. So that's cool. And then there's, you know, all of these warehouses and then sprinkled in there are these cafes that are popping up, some restaurants, some bars, lots of galleries, really just very organic and cool things happening. And it's taken some totally independent entrepreneurial people to move in. And it's also the neighborhood's also benefited from some highfalutin visionary developer people, you know, so it's uniquely Miami, and it has changed enormously just in, I would say, 24 months. Lolo, I would imagine a lot of people are coming to Sweat Records who might not have gone to Little Haiti otherwise. Absolutely, especially since we are one of the only vinyl specialty shops in the area. We're also a specialty vegan coffee shop. We get people coming in for both aspects. We're in a lot of travel guides and, you know, tourist sites and things like that. So we definitely bring a, a ton of traffic into the neighborhood. And it's very nice to see these people who come in, see our, you know, neat little shop, and then they walk up the street and go check out some of the local Haitian culture and the botanicas and all that kind of fun stuff. So, you know, we definitely are, are doing our part to bring people into the neighborhood. Sweat Records is is kind of unique because, as you say, it's also a gathering place, and so many of your events are free, aren't they? Yeah, almost all of them are free. We have a five dollar show coming up because it's a, <laughs> a band on Sonic Youth's record label, and they're we're bringing them in from another city, and we'd like to be able to pay them for their troubles. So, but most of the events are free. They're all all ages, which is really important to me because I did grow up in Miami, and I snuck into as much as possible before I was of age. And once I was of age, I never lost the feeling I had when I was younger when I was denied from a show because of how old I was. So. It's really important to keep the young kids engaged and get them involved in, you know, music and the arts and stuff. And I really love that Sweat is a space where not only can all ages come see shows, but we let younger kids' bands play. Some of, you know, a lot of local bands have had their first shows at Sweat. And we also 
give kids the experience of putting on a show. We kind of work with them as the event space and say, okay, you're putting together this show. Tell us which bands you want to put on the lineup. Send us your flyer and we'll approve it or edit it. And, you know, we just kind of try to lead kids down interesting paths in the music and arts industries. And Scott, you have a wider community. And I'm thinking about, (laughs) oh, Miami. You really just took on the entire city. First, before we even talk about the events that you orchestrated for that, which are really quite impressive, how did you get buy-in from so many different organizations and city agencies? It was a lot of knocking on doors, first and foremost, but uh, also when Knight Foundation is behind you, that helps a lot too, I think, because partially just because people know them and they know it's uh, it's a brand that, that people trust and recognize, but also because it means it's, it's going to happen. And in Miami, you never know when people are talking about something and if it is going to happen or not. So it, I think people got excited about it. And, you know, I think it was different too. It's uh, I mean, I think I'm the first person to probably go around town and haranguing people to try to put poetry into their programming so I think it was maybe something a little different and uh, I don't know I mean I I feel like most of the credit is to the organizations because they're the ones who said yes and you know a lot of them didn't know me from Adam and uh, and I had no track record with them and but they came on board 100% anyway and were super supportive and did amazing things I mean we had this goal of reaching every single person in Miami-Dade County during the course of April to get them to at least see or experience or hear one poem. That's it, just one poem. So to do that, we really tried to be as inclusive and, and as extensive in our programming as possible in every sense of the word. So um, one person and then also um, my colleague Pete Borbox, it was, it was primarily the two of us doing everything on our end. but. I mean, two people can't reach uh, 2.5 million without a whole lot of help. Some of the programs were really quite extraordinary, like Poem Drop. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, Lola knows about that. It was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Poem Drop is is an, an amazing concept. We worked with two young artists who grew up in Miami, and they came up with this idea of making a bunch of um, almost like little aerial paper bombs of poetry that we would then drop on one specific spot. And for the artists, it was very much a statement about about peace, I think, and about the kind of safety that we enjoy in America and also the sort of false safety implied by, by poetry. So we did it once in Coral Gables, and the drop itself worked very well. Uh, and then we tried it again at Lolo's annual Sweatstock event. And there were some complications, one of which being the wind, which wind, blew all yeah. the poems into the street. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it didn't quite work as planned, but it was fun to try it. No, it was cool. And, and we had some of his poets reading live on stage in between the local bands that we had on our uh, you know, free Block Party Street stage. So we, we, we had the poetry in there anyway. That's wonderful, because I was going to ask you about the kind of synergy and and working together that must happen down there. Tell us about Sweatstock. Sweatstock is our annual festival. Basically, there's a new holiday called Record Store Day, and it's an international event, and it's in its fifth year now, and it's gained a ton of steam. And basically, it's a day to celebrate the role of the independent record store in society, which is really great. So this Record Store Day thing has been great. And for the last two years, we've thrown a free block party to celebrate the store's anniversary and Record Store Day simultaneously. So it's the third Saturday in April, and we we did the second Sweatstock this this past April, and it was a great day. We had, between us and Churchill's, three stages, over 30 local acts. We incorporated 
you know, elements from Oh Miami. We incorporated some mu music, uh, local music videos from our Borscht Film Festival, which is our homegrown independent film festival entering its eighth year. We had local artists giving out their work. We had local food trucks serving up the food. And it was just a, a great celebration, free, all day, all ages. Had over 1,500 people come out. All of you focus a lot on local artists. Beth, Miami Light Project is really devoted to working and developing local talent. That's right. We have a program called Here and Now, which is now in its, wow, I think 12th year. Um, we commission and present the work of Miami-based dance music theater. And then actually with the support of the Knight Foundation, we've deepened the program and we've helped those artists to tour their work to other cities and countries. And Really, it's the most rewarding program that we do at the organization. Scott, I know Oh Miami had many national poets there, but there was also a focus on local poets, and the University of Wynwood really does focus on local writers. Yeah, we, we do. To me, it, it's focused on the local, but, but just like Beth is saying with the here and now, it's, it's about an exchange, too, between Miami scene and, and the rest of the country as well, because I, I think that's an important component that we are in conversation, especially since we are just kind of off, almost floating into the ocean down here. <laughs> so it's, it's very easy for us to get left out of the conversation if we're not working hard to stay inside of it. So that's also a big focus for us. So we, we bring people down here as well from other places uh, that we think are doing exciting things, and then they become ambassadors for Miami when they leave. And, and the same thing... Um, you know, one of the things I'd like to do in the future is along the lines of what Beth's doing with getting Miami writers opportunities to go outside of Miami and present their work. This is Beth. I was talking to somebody about this a little earlier today, that it's remarkable how little investment it actually takes to entirely change the life of an artist, to yeah. launch their career, to put them on a trajectory that is powerful. Mm -hmm. An airline ticket to the festival, the theater festival in Prague, and suddenly their work is exposed to people all over the world. Mm -hmm. It's so little money, and it completely and utterly changes their lives in terms of their professional opportunities and in turn starts to really kind of shine a light on Miami as a really interesting international cultural center. These are local artists, they're community-based artists, and they are international artists. They represent cultures from all over the world. Um, they represent Miami, and it's really important to us that we place them literally and figuratively on the same stage as artists from around the world who are perhaps world-renowned that we also bring to the city, and that we give them opportunities to interact with one another. This is Scott. No, I think that's actually, that's the way to actually improve the local is is when you get artists who are getting talked about elsewhere, like you know, in, in mm -hmm. national news outlets and other ways, and then you're in Miami and all of a sudden you're reading about people that artists you know and that you've seen perform, and then other people are getting excited about uh, in other places, and it makes you proud to be from Miami and say, oh, that's that's my yeah. artist, you know, I know that person. So it's it seems like oh that wouldn't do anything for Miami, but it actually it does a lot. Uh, this is Lolo. That's one of the main goals we had when we launched our web store this year. It was an idea that had been a couple years in the making. We sell local music. We sell vinyl, CDs. We sell local T-shirts, jewelry, wallets. Anything someone makes handmade locally, we're down to sell it for them. So in March, we launched sweatshopmiami.com, which is all the local stuff that we sell in the store. And we've filled tons and tons of orders, and we've shipped stuff everywhere from you know, right around the corner to other parts of Miami to, you know, 15 countries internationally. So That's it's really so cool great. that it's Miami stuff and it's getting sent all around the world. 
more and more Miami has this <laughs> reputation of being an international city, more and more a cosmopolitan city. How much do you think the growing arts community had to do with Miami's switch to more of a cosmopolitan place to be. I think it had everything, everything. to do with it. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Everything. everything. This is Lolo. I mean, <laughs> e- even the the GMCVB, the the Greater Miami Convention and Visitors Bureau, who you know is in charge of promoting Miami's image to the world, a couple of years ago switched from doing. Bikini girls on <laughs> South Beach rooftops to exactly. the arts, and yep. you know their last round of ads. It was really great that they uh, got that clue and decided to promote Miami's art scene. And you know, Art Basel, from what I hear, is the biggest art fair gathering in the hemisphere, mm-hmm. which makes sense. And it's an amazing week to be in Miami. You know, whether you're from here or visiting. And all of that stuff put together, Winter Music Conference, Oh Miami, these layers, you know, living here year round, there's never a dull moment. You know, even the summer, which they say is slow, not slow for me, I'm busy as hell right right. now. (laughs) Now, what does it mean for all of you to be working simultaneously often together as opposed to being the lonely artist? What, what, What happens when you do sort of create a critical cultural mass? I love it. It feels like working with family, really. There's so many people out there who are just great people, and I'm so happy to work with them all the time. And, you know, at this point, I think all of us can pick and choose who we do and don't want to work with. And, you know, it's great to always be able to opt to work with friends, not just because they're friends, but because they're doing amazing projects. And Miami, even though it's such a huge city, it's very welcoming. And I feel like if you have a good attitude and you're doing something interesting, it's very easy to be welcomed into the scene and figure out what's going on and things you'd like to do and who you'd like to work with. And, you know, most people I've talked to down here are really receptive to new ideas. And, you know, I don't find a lot of stubbornness. This is Beth talking. When I moved here, I moved here from New York City. I worked in the theater my whole life as an an actor and a director. And, you know, I moved to New York because it's the center of the theater universe, I thought. And after seven years living there, I was freezing and it was dark and I was depressed. <laughs> and I was like, why not? This isn't what I want to live. And so then I just had this aha moment when I thought, you know what? Why don't I move to the place where I want to be and then make the work I want to do in that place? And I decided, because I was freezing, that it was Miami. And that was at a really interesting time 16 years ago. And I found the same thing, that people are totally welcoming and that you can come here and unlike other perhaps older, more established cities, you can have a bright idea and you can get in line maybe at number 10 instead of number 450,000. <laughs> and you can move your idea forward. And you, if you're willing to work hard and work with others and collaborate and just like everything Lola just said, you can make really exciting things happen. It's really so, rewarding to be a part of that. Yeah. Scott? The, to me, Miami's a place to get stuff done. Like, just mm-hmm. it's, it's a great place to get stuff done. I can't imagine another city that has the sort of climate and the, the sense of camaraderie that Miami has in terms of the arts. We're really lucky that we have an amazing leader in, in the county's Department of Cultural Affairs and Michael Spring, who's just to have a, a city official who's as supportive as he is of everyone is amazing. And, and so I think it comes kind of from the top down that everyone kind of has this sense of we're all in this together. We all have the same goal, which is to make this place great and to make great work happen. And, and everyone really feels that way. And it's, it just makes things so easy. You know? you know, I talk to people in other cities and 
they dread collaboration. They dread having to bring in other people to the mix because it it turns into a fight, and it's it's just not like that here. How do you reach out? What are some of the things you do to reach out to new audiences and to make people aware of what it is that you're doing? But that's part of our job. We have to get creative, you know? <laughs> Lolo Ruskin. And what Scott said about the, the action and, and getting things done around here, it's, it's so right on. I mean, a, a lot of people I told you know, years ago that I was going to open a store didn't believe me until I gave them a, a flyer with an address on it and said, if you go here, there will be a store. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> so, you know, once it happened, you know, I, I know, you know, just as a small business owner, you know, we, we definitely get creative. We do a thing now once a month at the store where we, we make waffles. <laughs> and while that wouldn't be something you would really <laughs> expect to happen at a record store, uh-huh. the last one we did, we had about 100 people out. Oh, we wow. got written up in CityLink. We got written up in, you know, a whole bunch of different local press. New Times came to take pictures and put up a gallery. Scott, during Oh Miami, you had people reading poems when they were online at the Motor Vehicle Bureau. Yeah, I'm kind of the the structure of Oh Miami, I think, is addressing what I, I really do think is, is a serious challenge for arts organizations going forwards, which is the fracturing of the media in terms of how do you get the word out to new audiences. And so I think it's something that we explored in a pretty in-depth fashion in the, in the course of the month. And one of the things that I realized at the end of it is going to be a real challenge going forward is breaking out of that core art audience and then even breaking out of what would be maybe like a fringe audience that's around that that you could maybe convince to do something Uh, but once you get outside of those circles I think it's very hard to reach those people because as much as social media is democratic it tends to be clicky and you're usually speaking to a lot of the same people um, over and over again and finding ways to break out of that and and break across um, sort of class lines and and, and other socioeconomic barriers that I think is going to be a real challenge for all of us moving forward. This is Beth talking. One of the ways that I believe that we have been successful in creating a really diverse audience base and not just giving lip service to that word because I think it's easy to do that. We want people from all walks of life. We want people who are young and old and rich and poor and educated and not and you know from diverse cultural and ethnic backgrounds to come to our performances, we made a very specific series of decisions many years ago about how it is that we would make diverse programming on our stages, and that will attract a diverse audience. I mean, I think that's, for me, that's mm-hmm. that's key to how it is that we run our organization. You can't expect to diversify your audience if you're always presenting the same kinds of artists on stage, and so we have this wildly eclectic programming, and it's not by accident. It's very purposeful that it's eclectic. It, we represent many different countries, uh, many different genres, many different sort of generations of artists, and and as much collaboration goes on stage as it does off stage, I guess you could say. And I think that all of those things, not just one of those things, make for an audience that is reflective of your community. In summing up, are there any final thoughts about art and community, the way art builds neighborhoods? This is Scott. When you go to a city, I think most people, that's, that those are the things that they're looking for. They want to know, is there a great show in town? Is there a festival going on right now? You know, they want to feel instantly like locals, even if they're not. And the way they do that is they get integrated into the arts community because it's typically the most welcoming. And it's also, I think, the easiest way to create value in a community and create pride amongst its residents for the things that you do. And 
And then selfishly for me, I mean, I just, to me, it's what makes life livable. So the better the art is in, in a city, the happier I am. Lolo? I, I've read the studies that say that one of the th- true things that makes people really enjoy living where they live is the amount of social, cultural things they can go explore and enjoy. And I definitely hear all the time that all three of our organizations are filling niches of things that weren't happening here before. And it's really cool that I'm able to put on a indie stand-up comedy night once a month that people don't have to buy two drinks to get into and that allows new comics a chance to get their feet wet. And, you know, there's so much room for culture in the city. And it's, you know, it's really great that beyond us, there's just a ridiculous amount of organizations working all towards the same goal. So just the fact that we're able to help, you know, not only put on our own programming, but disseminate the information and spread it out as far as we can, that's really enriching for us. And just the sheer amount of things we're able to accomplish on such a shoestring budget is still impresses me that we're still able to pull it off. But, you know, it's been great having the Knight Foundation in town's been great. And all the cumulative work of everyone has just made the city such a, an amazing place that I'm so proud to live in and be a part of. And Beth? Well, I think for me, picking the place that I want to raise my six-year-old son is obviously the most important decision I could make in my life, or at least I see it that way. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I have, was exposed to great art from the beginning. It was a very important part of my upbringing. I, I think that all of that exposure created in me a, a love of, of art and a love of community. Experiencing live performance, for example, in the same room with other beating hearts is something that is impossible to describe. Uh, you have to experience it to know what that's like. I think that people, I think that human beings desire communal experiences and when, when they have the opportunity, when individuals have the opportunity to come together to experience some work of art, that they can leave transformed and they therefore transform their community and build a community. We, you, you start to feel like, in, you know, in a, from a geographical perspective, if your neighborhood has interesting things going on in it, you start to feel a part of and you start to care about and become more engaged with everything that's happening in that neighborhood and and then I think that kind of grows and makes you think more about your community at large and I I always speak about the experience of live performance because that's what I do. I think that it's one of the most important things that builds community. Well, my hat's off to all of you, seriously. You really help make Miami a truly great American city, so thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. I was speaking with Beth Boone from the Miami Light Project, Lolo Ruskin from Sweat Records, and Scott Cunningham, who heads O Miami. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpt from Appetite, from Proviant Audio, from the album Mushrooms, licensed through Creative Commons. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. Next week, a visit to Worm Farm, where artists work the land. To find out how Artworks and communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.